You're listening to Campus Review Radio. Hi, my name's Wade Zaglis, the Education Editor for Campus Review. Today I'm talking to Dr Sarah James, a lecturer and cultural sociologist at La Trobe University in Melbourne. She holds some firm views on ATAR and has conducted research on what influences students to choose the particular courses they do. She spoke to Campus Review about these issues and more. Sarah, I want to start out with the importance of ATARs. What is your opinion? Do they give an accurate indication of a student's ability to succeed at university or could we replace them with something else? Well, I think that the way the ATAR is understood in society and is explained to students is a bit problematic. And I think the chief scientist, Alan Finkel, put it well when he said that the ATAR is a tool, but students treat the ATAR as a goal. So I would argue that there's a really big emphasis in most schools on students trying to maximise their ATAR. So the way this tends to be explained is that getting a good ATAR will allow you get in, to get into a good course and mm-hmm. then get a good job. So you have students choosing subjects in VCE to try and maximise their ATAR and not necessarily following their interests or their talents. And then when they get their magical number, they really want to try and get the best value they can with their score. So mm-hmm. we've got research that shows that students will always want to try and spend their ATAR. So Basically, they've worked very hard for it, and so they don't necessarily pick courses based on what they enjoy or what they feel suited to, but the one with the highest ATAR course that they can get into. And then I think this is probably influential in what we see happening in first year with students either dropping out of courses or transferring into a different degree. Sure. I think if there was less emphasis placed on ATAR, we'd we'd probably see less of this. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, Because, you know, I think um, sound advice is to always follow subjects that you're interested in and good at. But, you know, the way ATAR is structured, um, you know, you you don't necessarily do that and you pick courses that, you know, attract um, the highest kind of scores. Yes, so that is problematic. Um, Much of your research work focuses on the changing role of work in people's lives in an an era of precarious employment and fragmentation. Can you talk a bit about this and recommend what uni students can do to ensure they're better equipped for this brave new world? Sure. So as you say, work has become less secure and career pathways are now more fragmented. So rather than the older model of, you know, going to uni, studying one thing and then going into a company in that industry and sort of working your way up over time, maybe moving into a couple of different companies, but pretty much staying in the one industry. Now the prediction is that young people will have 17 distinct jobs over their working life across Mm -hmm. five different careers. So it's much less linear career pathways. And so what happens as a consequence of that is that lifelong learning is going to become the norm. So people will have to retrain and upskill. So Mm -hmm. as part of their jobs, um, 
but also in additional higher education. And we'll see more of this as work is transformed by automation and people have to move into different industries. One of the things I saw recently, an interesting um, study that was commissioned by Google Australia, this was a future skills report and it was about the skills that Australian workers would need to develop in the future. And they suggested in this that Australians are going to need frequent training um, across their career to adjust to the future of work. And as I said, that could be on-the-job training, but it could also be formal training, maybe not a whole degree, but a short mm -hmm. course. Yeah. And their prediction was that by 2040, Australian workers will need to spend an average of an additional three hours per week in education and training. So if you compare that to today, that represents a 33% increase across their lifetime. Yeah. So obviously all of this means that transferable skills become really important. And I know that that gets thrown around all the time and people are sick of hearing it, but you know, those kind of skills that allow you to move across different industries. So mm -hmm. I guess your question was about what would I recommend? I mean, I would try and get students to think about their choice of degree now, not as the big decision about what your career is going to be, but to think of it more as a first step. And I actually, um, I was speaking to a colleague of mine in journalism the other day, and he was saying that they get young journalists coming through now who see themselves as early career journalists. So they come in with this mindset that they'll only do it for a few years. They'll try and get some really useful skills out of it. So, you know, presenting communication, mm -hmm. make some good networks. But they've got this mindset that they're going to move on from that. Um, and this is just sort of to their... To PR their or media career. or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. That, that is strange. Um, I, I guess too, um, I know, I know uh, things like LinkedIn learning um, are going to become um, pretty big too when you look at, you know, uh, gaining extra skills in the workplace. Um, yeah, so in addition to that formal, you know, post-grad university stuff, there could be um, a range of online courses popping up too for that lifelong learning. That's right, and we're seeing lots of universities kind of jump on board this um, micro-credential trend now. So you might just yes. do, you know, essentially one subject, maybe over two weeks online, and get a thing to add to your CV, you know, in written communication or whatever it might be. So, I, yeah, I think you're right. That We're going to see a lot more of that. Um, what kinds of factors do students weigh up when making course decisions? I'm assuming... Um, you know, a projected salary would be the main or be one of the main things. What else do they think about? Yeah, so it's interesting. There's a number of different things. You're right that um, salary or at least getting a job, feeling secure that you are going to find a job is probably the most important one. Um, in terms of what influences them, I've already talked about them wanting to spend the, their ATAR and get the most out of their hard work. But in terms of what's kind of influencing that decision, we know from the research that it's really parents and peers who are the biggest influence. Mm. And obviously different families are going to have different expectations around their um, children's career paths and mm -hmm. different families will have different perceptions about what university it's acceptable to go to. Um, and so the research shows that students are really influenced by this. And so 
I guess one consequence of that is that you get students sort of following what their parents expect, not necessarily what they'd like to do. And of course, the kind of family you grow up in, whether it's um, a low SES family or a high SES family, whether your parents went to uni or not, what your friends are planning on doing, all of this will have a big influence on the kind of horizons students have about what's possible and, and how they set sure. their goals. Yeah. yeah. But in terms of other things that they, they think about, so we know that other voices that are important are careers practitioners, but then also discipline teachers within schools. So you might have a history teacher that's really encouraging mm-hmm. you to kind of go down that path. Yeah. Um, but then also really practical things like geographical locations. So not just for people in regional areas, but also people in, in capital cities. How easy is it going to be for you to get back and forth across the city? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just saw something in the paper the other day saying that when students are researching different unis, two-thirds of them now are using social media, like the kind of, say, the Latrobe Facebook account where students are sort of posting about what university life is like, that two-thirds of them are looking at that to do their research, and they're more likely to go to that kind of thing than to open days. So so that's an interesting mm-hmm. shift. Yeah. Um, but I guess one other really important thing to say is that it's obviously going to vary a lot by the type of course they're doing. So the motivation for someone choosing nursing versus someone choosing engineering versus someone choosing arts are going to be different. And the research that I've done has been into why Bachelor of Arts students choose their course. So we did a study here at La Trobe on 400 of our art students. Mm-hmm. And they're a pretty interesting group because... A large proportion of them will describe their choice to do an arts degree as following their passion. So, um, definitely, yeah. yeah, it was in my case. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> so, and we also, you know, we found in this that they'll often meet resistance from their family around this because there's this perception that an arts degree is not, you know, career focused enough. Mm-hmm. But but these students tend to have a strong belief that they'll do well if they do what they like. And some of them do have a specific career in mind, but others are just sort of following their interest to see where it'll go. And we also found that a, a proportion of these students sort of see the arts degree as a, as a means of self-discovery and exploration. So they sort of hope that they can kind of find themselves within it in the same way that I guess a gap year is sometimes understood. And if you think about the advice that's often given to students about doing an arts degree, it's often the thing that students get told to do if they don't know, if they're not sure. So yeah. start with arts, explore. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, they're, yeah, they're a pretty interesting cohort. They are indeed. Um, I see many benefits, though, in studying a BA. I mean, not only um, can you, you know, major in, you know, one or two areas and, and also then select, you know, a range of very diverse electives, um, you know, it's the diversity. I mean, I think in my course I, I learn up to three referencing systems, you know, so, so and, and, you know, the amount of critical thinking and, you know, um, conceptualising and all that and, and, and being able to write, you know, very long academic um, papers, mm. yeah, I think is, is a real... Um, 
here's a real um, benefit of studying a BA. I, I just want to go back to you, um, your comment earlier about uh, family and peers influencing course decisions. It's funny because I remember when I was in year tw- 11, or I think I was in year 12, my first um, choice was to become a psychologist and my mum turned around and said, oh, you won't be doing that that time. So all psychologists are crazy. And, you know, and I thought I had some sort of independence at that time in my own mind, but obviously um, subconsciously I I made the decision that, yeah, maybe she was right. They are all crazy. (laughs) So, yeah, you're definitely right. They they have a huge influence on decisions. Yeah. Yeah. All right, um, Dr. Sarah James, thank you so much for speaking to Campus Review and, and um, revealing some of that interesting information on career choices. You're welcome. Thank you.